0: Hello and welcome back to the TT Podcast. I'm Chris Pritchard and unfortunately, I don't have Steve Plater by my side. He's currently sunning himself in the Bahamas. He says he's the hardest working man in the paddock. I beg to differ because I'm sat in my house doing this voiceover right now. I don't know about you guys, but I am still feeling those TT blues. So with that in mind, I thought I'd bring you some of the best episodes from deep. And when I say deep, I mean deep in the back catalogue of the TT Podcast. Normal podcast service will be resumed very soon, but until then, we're playing the hits. This week, we're kicking off with someone who's had a frustrating TT2023, and at some point, it'll be good to uh, to update our podcast with this man, Davey Todd. Had a mixed bag in 2022 with his uh, tyre issues and his first ever podium. 2023 came back, suffered, uh, again, struggling to get that bike set up. Then he got an illness alongside his teammate, and um, he battled his way through the, uh, the final race. And hopefully 2024 will be a lot more kinder to David Todd than 2023. This episode with Davy was one of the first we ever recorded and was published back in February of 2022, as he looked ahead to his first TT return since COVID-19. In today's episode of the TT Podcast, we are joined by Davy Todd. It's fair to say in his short TT career to date, he's made quite an impression. Debuting in 2018, he claims that he's taken his first two TTs fairly steadily. But after becoming the second fastest ever newcomer, and then taking a host of top 10 finishes a year later, he is widely regarded as road racing's hottest property. Ooh! In fact, his results were enough to catch the attention of the biggest names in the paddock. At only 24 and still a relative newbie, he was snapped up by Honda Racing for the 2020 TT campaign as a factory rider. Then obviously, coronavirus came along. Initially, Honda retained his services for the Short Circuit series, but when the TT was cancelled for a second year in 2021, his contract wasn't renewed and he was back to square one. While the upward trajectory of his career may have been paused by the effects of the pandemic, as one of the sport's rising stars, it is surely only a temporary setback. Davy Todd, what an intro for someone who's brand new to the TT, really. How are you, mate? You all right. Yeah, i oh good, mate. It sounds pretty special, that, doesn't it? <laughs> Second ever fastest newcomer to the TT. That's... Um are you happy with that, or would you have liked to have been the fastest ever?
1: No, to be honest, that always feels like a kick in the teeth, and all my, all my mates and stuff around me uh, use it as a bit of a dig that is second best, second best. But, uh, yeah, no, it's it's pretty cool to to be second best still to the say, fastest yeah. guy uh, around there in the world right now. So
0: Yeah, second behind Peter Hig- I'll I'll take second behind Peter Higman in anything, let alone the TT. Yeah, I've
1: got my excuses, to be honest, I've got my excuses, The a red flag, but I don't want to go down that road, but uh, <laughs> but no, it was, uh, yeah, it was good, it was good, uh, hooked from that moment on.
2: Now, I, was, I said to you when you came in, you know, two years you've been doing the TT, doing a sterling job, but you're a rock star already, you've been flipping, you're making us wait for you this morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not on purpose, um, I think again, anybody who knows me knows I'm
1: uh, quite often late, um,
2: it's Saltburn salt on sea, where the flipping X that?
1: Oh, by the sea, isn't it? It's an unreal little place, you
2: can't get me away from there. Uh, in between Middlesbrough and Whitby, north uh, northeast well, coast. <clears throat> 1995. I know you've been taking the mickey a little bit, Nineteen ninety. I started yeah. racing in 19... I can see it here on some notes, I started racing in 1994. You're trying to make me feel old. <laughs> Yeah, it's. I'm
1: starting to feel old now. You know, it's um, <laughs> these these two years off is just. I feel like I've aged a lot. You know, it's um, uh, it's it's been a bad, mad couple of years, and yeah, honestly, I feel old now. I, I don't feel like this young kid anymore.
0: So, Davey, one question that every TT racer gets asked on this podcast: You're rolling up to the start line, visors down. You're clicking the bike into first gear. You're waiting for that tap on the shoulder to set off down Bray Hill. What's going through your mind at that moment?
1: Coming up to the start line, I think, is where all the nerves are. And as soon as I feel like I'm the one bike before the start line, uh, the nerves disappear from then. because then you're just focused on what what you've got in front of you and it all goes like... I guess you go into that zone of, of just thinking about the job at hand and, and what you've got in front of you. So the nerves from that point go away and then you roll the bike forward onto the, the the front row I guess and um and yeah you get the tap on your shoulder and it's just like yeah massive the biggest rush of adrenaline I think that you could possibly get on on any bike or doing anything to be honest um it's a lot of excitement but yeah it's it's hard to even explain it's just that much focus you don't know what you're actually thinking about you're just thinking about the the corners in front of you, thinking about going over the top of St. Inians and Down Bray Hill like flat out in six gear. It's yeah. just goes, it's it's crazy how it works. Where you, you know you you don't get like warm up laps and you're not sat on the grid and and stuff like that with other riders it's one at a time and you literally go from a standstill to flat out in top gear straight away
0: well that yeah that's it you, you short circuits you get that warm up lap you get to form on on the grid you're waiting for that red light but with this you, like you said there's no morning warm up so you don't even get a, a your, your brain up to speed you have to get your brain up to speed within what you're doing 160 over St. Ninian's?
1: Something yeah, like probably one sixty, maybe one eighty, or for sure one eighty, one ninety down Bray Hill. It's just absolutely flat, like on a on a big bike, and yeah, going from zero to that is uh, it's an eye opener, you know, when you first do it. But
0: and do you do you think the fact that at TT twenty twenty two you are going to have a morning warm up this time? Do you think that's going to change how the races run from you personally, or do you feel like you, regardless of whether you have that, you can get yourself up to speed instantly?
1: No, I think it'd be a lot, a lot better. I think it'd be a ton better for riders that having, a, having the warm up, and you can get you into the that headspace because jumping on a bike, having not sat on it all day, and then going straight to one hundred and eighty, two hundred mile an hour within the first thirty seconds, the first minute of a of a race is. Nuts. It's absolutely insane. So getting yourself warmed up a little bit is definitely a good
0: thing. And does so that the first time you go over St. Indian's at like one eighty, the second time you come round, does it feel as fast? Like does it take a a while to get that brain up to speed? So then when you come over second lap, third lap, it's you're into the groove and it it doesn't feel as as scary?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think um certainly it slows down after yeah. after the the first few miles everything starts to slow down a little bit and not feel so so hectic and and like there's a lot going on and the funny thing is the next lap when you come over it's on a full line lap and you're actually going over there quicker because you've had a run up over the start yeah. finish line but yeah it all starts to slow down and everything in your mind it's it's weird everybody you know watches the videos and everything and that's how like you can even focus actually it's crazy for me when I sit at home and watch an onboard video and you you can't understand like how your brain can focus what like doing that but when you're actually riding yourself everything really does go in slow motion everything slows down and you just know what you're doing all the time two steps ahead of where
2: you are on the on the road every second of the way. You see I can't get my breath you know TT22 morning warm-ups you got it so easy these days back in my day there was no messing around no warm-up straight in in like Flynn you had to and you had to be on podium pace you know immediately it really was but now hey some people have come for that and some aren't you know it took me it used to take me probably three miles to Union Mills to get at ease not just with um, myself my body my mind but obviously get everything warmed up on the bike and uh, to knuckle down yeah to be honest that like I've
1: I've not always been um, you know too bad at it to be honest but it's always been a, a learning curve every TT I've done so far I never feel like at any point I've I've been pushing you know I just I wanted to go there for my first couple of years and, and make sure I was just you know taking it easy one of the best things I ever got told by John Burroughs who I rode for my first year he just said treat it like a Sunday ride every time you go out he said we we're sat on the start line for the first my first ever race a suit bike race and he said just treat it like a Sunday ride just go out and enjoy getting to ride around the best circuit in the world and that's literally what I did and came in and you're like wow, oh, the lap time was actually pretty good like I just keep doing this and and that's all I've kept doing and the lap time just keeps getting better so I wanted it to do that until I feel completely comfortable around there and
2: let's let's rewind the clock you know back to your early days and getting into not just you know riding two wheels to begin with you know I know you're a big supermoto man and and our man here Chris Pritchard he kind of uh blows a bit of smoke up his own backside saying he was probably
0: better than you He keeps telling me that, yeah, he keeps telling me. I beat James Ellison, what more do you want? Who? Wow. (laughs) I remember seeing David Jeffries once in a race, I saw him at the start and I saw him at the end, but in between I didn't see much of him.
2: So what got you into, you know, two wheels, did your father race, did your parents massive into it, what was your kind of in-road inroad in yeah, so my um, so my dad had bikes his whole
1: life, and he was always into bikes and racing, but he never actually raced himself. But, yeah, it was just that natural thing. Um, all I remember from early years before I rode, like, you know, first years of my life, was watching racing on TV. You know, that's, that's literally all that happened. My dad had it on all the time, whether it was motocross or MotoGP or super bikes, anything. You know, there was... Um, always something on racing wise two-wheeled motorsport on tv so it's all I wanted to do and you know my dad got me a bike I think for Christmas when I was three years old and um, you know just was mad about it straight away and like wanted to ride every second every day and to be honest nothing's changed (laughs) like you know uh, 23 years later and uh, you know nothing's any any different at all so from then on just 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 rode as much as possible and would take me to motocross practice tracks and uh, the legal age I, at six years old you can start racing motocross I, I started racing and and just went from there and was always competitive so you know wasn't ever really out there to just take part and always wanted to win always wanted to do better. You know, there was a funny year that we still joke about in my family now. I think I was only on a 50cc bike, so I was no older than, like, eight years old or something, and um, I'd had a few races in a row where I'd come third, and I, I knew I could do better. I knew it could be, like, first or second, and, and I'd come, finish third again, and, you know, you your mum and dad, been your mum and dad, they were never pushy parents, and that that's part of what I you know, why I think I, I still love racing so much now. But they were never pushing, always supportive. And uh they come in and they were like, you've done well, like, why are you why are you annoyed with third place? And and I was really angry and said I'd rather have... Uh, <laughs> I'd rather finish fourth than third, which... <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know why I was, what I was thinking, <laughs> but I meant it at the time. I was just frustrated. But, you know, they were always supportive. No matter what, I come back in, I, I never never had from my, my dad I, I could have finished last and my parents would have been you know supportive with it I think they'd have probably not emptied the bank account so much if I'd have been finishing last but yeah they were, they were supportive no matter what and never you know pushed me uh, like you see a, uh, a lot of parents do yeah. and then the, when they you know the the kid gets a little bit older they realise they they find other things and they, they don't want to go racing anymore and you know I genuinely love it as much today if not if not more if that's possible
0: so was that was the was the idea to stay in motocross did you at what point did you get, kind of start looking because a lot of people do that you you kind of go through the schoolboy motocross scene and then i don't know either there's a bit more money in it or it's a bit more lucrative to go across to road racing was that was that ever in your kind of like trajectory that you wanted to go and do straight over to road racing or were you happy with motocross yeah, well, honestly, I get asked the question all the time. Sorry. And people,
1: um, in, the, in the sense of, like, people, like, say, you must have dreamed of racing the Isle of Man TT your yeah. whole life. Yeah, TT, the biggest bike race, you know, arguably the biggest bike race in the world. You must have dreamed of that your whole life. And, like, honestly, no, I, I didn't because I didn't, I almost didn't know there was any other form of racing. I, I, I mean, I remember as a kid watching MotoGP on TV, but... I was motocross through and through and mm-hmm. off-road and, you know, I had it in my mind that I was going to race motocross as, you know, as my career and that's what I always aim for and motocross being motocross as it happens with a with a, a lot of riders, you know, you do it through the schoolboy years and even through that, even as a kid, you you have so many injuries and I still remember getting into, like, secondary school and even after into working after school and and people telling me they've never broke a bone and you're like, How is that possible? Like, I think by like ten years old it was in like double figures and you're like, how like, how is it possible that you haven't? It's just a normal thing. Yeah, I broke my arm this week, but I'll be back racing next week or something, you know?
2: All being funded by your parents at the
1: time? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> like you know, you have the old tiny little help here and there but yeah my my parents genuinely uh put everything that that they could you know i'm not from a from a rich background as you see like to be honest a lot in uh, sports bike racing and bsb and stuff uh, you know my parents definitely aren't rich by any stretch my i remember my dad working like every bit of overtime possible as a kid racing motocross and on multiple occasions uh, he'd have to leave me at the motocross track because he'd be on call over a weekend um, because he knew he could earn extra money so he'd be on call and we'd be at a race and he'd be like I'm going to have to leave you here I'll leave you with some of our friends or your (laughs) mate's dad or something uh, I've got to go do a job and then I'll come back and pick you up there. That's dedication, into not it? Um, and this, like, you know, I've, I might be eight years old, seven years old, something. But they literally did whatever they could to make it possible for me. And I think it, it helped that, it. yeah, I was doing well the whole time. But, yeah, they didn't have to do that. And it got to a stage, you get a little bit older. And my dad, as I say, my dad always had bikes and he'd end up selling his bike and he got a worse bike. And then he was like, I can have this bike or I can you're getting you know pushing on now and you you may be battling with someone but they've got a really trick tuned bike and yours is just standard and maybe a year or two old and Mm -hmm. so he's like I'm gonna have to sell my bike and we'll get your bike tuned and if that's what we got to do and and he did he he sacrificed bikes for a lot of his life you know a lot of my life my dad never had a bike I remember him having one when I was young but after that my race, and I guess got too expensive,
2: and yeah, he couldn't afford to have a bike. It's that himself picture or... again. He's priority. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the diva. So what was the what was the crossover? You know, from obviously the, from the dirt from the knobbly tires to treaded tires for the circuits. How how did that happen? So weirdly, it was Summa, the the thing that's genuinely
1: like my. I would say the the thing I'm most interested in, like, in terms of watching is Supercross. Like, growing up, mm-hmm. watching McGrath. Supercross was the thing I, I absolutely love. It. I still do now. I went to race a British Supercross championship, which it was British Supercross, and it's Arena Cross. Arena really. Cross, yeah, it's yeah. yeah. The, they call it Arena Cross, but they called it Supercross then, and, uh, yeah, I went to do that anyway. One winter, I'm trying to think, maybe... 2011 something 12 um went to race that I'd just jumped on a 250f like younger than i should have been i was always like quite tall for my age Uh jumped on that and end up in one of the qualifying races anyway I didn't even make the night show and it was round one which makes it even worse but <laughs> round one qualifying race uh come up short on the finish line finish line triple jump and shattered my tib and fib in my my leg to a lot of pieces. You know, the surgeon later said it was like you could have compared it to dropping a vase. Like, there's just bits everywhere. Really? Like, it's completely (laughs) annihilated. So that required a big surgery. It's full of a lot of metal, still is now. And at that point, he said, you know, if it's so so serious if you go back to motocross when you can walk and i was almost i think almost six months before walking um, so how
0: old are you at this time again
1: i was like 13. really uh, no 14 15, 14, 14 15 years old yeah that time they're like yeah if you if you break this again like in the next year or two um
0: we're chopping it off
1: you might never walk again, yeah. you know, this is going to be bad. They might end up cutting it off. It might be like, it'll all be fused. Like, it it won't be good. You might yeah. you might never walk properly again. It, it was a bit of a concern that I wasn't going to with the injury that I already had. So, at that stage, then everybody's like, oh, what are you going to do now? You're not racing. I'm like, I'm not going to not race. I need mm-hmm. to do something. And a few of my friends at the time... Um, from motocross had actually moved over to supermoto and you think well, wow, it's motocross bikes you just need a couple of bits you need a set of wheels and that's it oh mm-hmm. so you thought at the time anyway
2: a set of wheels and um uh, just just for the viewers obviously supermoto is a little bit of off-road and bit of tarmac on a mot- motocross bike with with like a treaded tyre
1: yeah the the easiest way to describe it's rallycross for um rallycross for for bikes you know 70 percent tarmac 30 percent off road and jumps and stuff, uh, yeah, on a slick tire basically, um, on a motocross bike, slick tires. But um, so yeah, that was that was the progression we seen a couple of our friends do it, and saw me do it, inspired seen, him. <laughs> seen my hero at the time, pretty <laughs> just, <laughs> or something like that. Thanks, and, mate. Um, <laughs> Yeah, moved moved across to that for for a few years and and got really into. Tuk Moto I had a couple of sponsors on and still um, my parents were helping me a lot you know I'd, at that time I was just uh, just finishing school um, I had a job I was working like all the hours I could in Subway <laughs> as nice. a sandwich artist. <laughs> sandwich artist that's the official job title <laughs> honestly um, what an artist <laughs> put you through a qualification it's called the University of Subway that I, I'm not lying. Someone's got to um, make the sandwiches. And, I'm hungry. And that, and that, that was it. You know, I did what I could about finishing school, and and um, yeah, still wanted to to keep progressing. My dad did what he could and sold up my two motorbikes that I had at the time and took all the sponsors I possibly could from two motor over to uh, sports bikes and just. Was like I don't really know how it works or what to do. You know, my whole life I've been putting my foot out. What you meant to like, hang off the bike and put your knee out. Like and it was like I'll I'll just get used to it. We'll just enter into the into the Thunder Sport Championship, and I had actually entered into the like top six hundred the elite six hundred championship. In, in your Thun- first year, in my first year, um by had to wear a novice bib, because obviously until you've done your ten race meetings, you're a novice rider. Mm-hmm. And uh Thundersport actually come back to me, Bernadette who runs Thunder Sport, and said, You 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 can't you can't race the elite championship. You're a novice. You need to be in the uh, pre national uh, championship. And I was like, I'll I'll learn, you know, I'll, I'll get up to speed and she was like, No, you can't we was telling you you're not allowed to go in this championship you know this is just before or basically just at round one you can't race in it so i'm like i I went away i had actually read all the rules and there was no rule in the regulations to say that a novice rider couldn't race in the elite championship so i went back and said there's no rule said there is no rule but we just strongly recommend that you don't go in that championship it's not going to be safe and Long story short, uh, the first round was the only round that I wasn't on the podium. Uh, really? I was like 20th in maybe my first race, then 12th in the second race, and 6th uh, in the third race, and this is all at round one. And then from then on, I, I think I was in the podium in every race, won a bunch of races, and ended up winning the championship in my first year.
0: So she was more worried about the other riders? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> yeah.
1: I, I don't know. I think... <laughs> I was pretty surprised too you know after it's a bit of a shock when you first get there and you're like right I'm in 30th in the first session that maybe I don't know how to ride yeah. you know it's a bit but I've I've always done best with doing it in that method in all forms of my career you know jumping in at the deep end with the enduro we did the same with the motocross we'd always do the same move up a year early and I remember you' year actually forging my birth certificate I think I think it was for enduro. I've never done that. Maybe for uh, motocross. But the thing is, everybody does that to, to say they're younger than they actually are. Like all the mm-hmm. kids were doing like that Steve. to stay in the, stay in the <laughs> easier class or like the younger class a year longer so they could win it. And we yeah. actually forged it so I could be a year older, so I could move up a class a year older, um, a, a year early. Um... I don't know. Just how I was like always like tall for my age and you know competitive. So yeah, it was it was sort of mad. Like it just worked that way that if I just jumped in at the deep end, I'd learn you know sink or swim. I so mean, I think- that that
0: that segues as nicely into 2018 and literally getting thrown in at the deep end of the TT. Firstly, briefly, how do you go from? Kind of that trajectory of of going through ThunderSport. There's a there's a clear path. ThunderSport, British Superbikes, and then onto wherever you can, you know, achieve World Superbikes, MotoGP, what it, whatever it might be. But you went there, and then almost took a right turn and went, "I'm going road racing."
2: Yeah, well, it's a uh, it's a uh, it's a bit of a long story. But uh... <laughs> <laughs> did you have the same mentality of just jumping in at the deep end? <sighs> a little bit it, again it wasn't really like in my
1: thoughts I'd not I, it had not crossed my mind obviously TT was this really cool thing but I, it was a different path than what I was moving towards like you say was um, moving towards BSB and right now I've done one Thunder Sport where we go to 600 at BSB and, mm-hmm. and go race Super Stock 600 at BSB then which we did the next year and the same thing you get told lucky, if you're good enough, you might score a couple of points in your in your first season mm-hmm. and my second second round I won um in stock six hundred, and then went from there, had a lot of mechanicals it, at this stage was the one where you realise you can't really go any further with what we had as like a, a family at this point, my younger brother was mechanicing for me he's old enough now so i I don't know if i get into trouble for saying it but he was mechanicing for me at the time Um, my brother was 12 years old (laughs) and you know the what you weren't allowed on pit lane at bsb under 16 yeah and he was on the grid he was my main mechanic genuinely my my crew chief you know (laughs) and he was 12 years old and and my, and my granddad, is my, my granddad was always there. Uh, my granddad was like 65, 70 years old mm-hmm. at the time. And my granddad's a joiner. Uh, you know, he's no mechanical background yeah. at all. But he you know was a there to family, do what he could. A proper family could. team. And my dad would be there when he could, and uh, which wasn't often, because, again, he was working all the time funded, to, yeah. to try and put as much funding in as he could. So he'd miss a lot of the racing himself because he was working uh so we did what we could in that uh, in that sense i had another uh, a really good guy who'd then come with me from uh Supermoto, uh chris cox and he was you know not like uh, an all-inspention technician but i'd worked with him for so many years he was he was really good and i, I still think he's really good now to be honest and I owe a lot to, to him for the support he gave me. For I had him set my bike up and uh, people would be like, oh, the All guy or whatever, and it's like, we can't afford that, you know. But Chris, honestly, was, mm-hmm. was was so good and and, you know, we were successful doing it, but we had a few incidences in that year in BSB, you know. My sump plug fell out and... That's because he got a twelve year old turning uh, it on. Twelve year old and and you know, you come in and I'm raging and like obviously really mad and uh I think my mum was there and my granddad and he's like, You can't go mad at him, he's twelve years old. Like, what what do you expect? And it's like, Well Yeah. Yeah, what what can we do? Like yeah. that's you know, that's the, that's honestly the best we had and finished six in the championship, won, won two races, uh, podium in another one, and uh, from then on, you think you had a lot of interest. I, I, after that year, thought, it's all right, you know, we need to move on from the steps that I'm at, but uh, I had a lot of interest off manufacturers, then Kawasaki were knocking on the door, and you think, this is my career is mm-hmm. we'll be all right, and then you go for meetings with a team and they're like, Yeah, please come and ride for us. And you're like, Oh, it's just sorted. There's loads of teams want me to ride for them. Yeah. You go for a meeting and they're like, Yeah, yeah, this, this is a bike. This is a setup. This is a team. And and you're like, This is amazing. Yeah, I, I love it. And they're like, The last thing, you just have to bring 60 grand and we're good to go. <laughs> and I was like, What? So sorry, White. What? Yeah. what do you mean? And they're like, Oh, well, Oh, you know with all the teams you got to bring money and it's like i don't have 60 grand i yeah. don't have half of that nowhere near us. like i don't know what i'm meant to do now and to be honest I wanted to move on, on onto a big bike i wanted to move on to a thousand i couldn't got some support of kawasaki anyway to to get a ride we still had to pay 20 grand i think to a team so I, like worked flat out all winter at this time. I'd moved away from home to work for a a company, Continental, Uh, lived in Birmingham, like saving up as much money as I could. I ended up having to actually just before the uh, season I had to quit my job because they were like, you can't have any more Fridays off uh, because I was obviously a bunch of Fridays off to go racing and they're like that's it no more Fridays your work's more important than your your hobby of racing and I'm like not racing I'm yeah. going to do this so literally went from there and uh, had to quit my job saved up enough got enough sponsorship in to just scrape together this 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 20 grand to pay for my ride for the season and don't know whether I'm savage enough but a lot of people know i like a team that have I've, I've, to be honest, screwed a lot of people in the paddock mm-hmm. on numerous occasions. And um, anyway, they turned up at round one. They said my mechanic hadn't turned up. The bike wasn't properly built. I'd tested it one evening uh, before round one and turned up at round one and said, yeah, your mechanic's not turned up. I later found out they'd actually not given him a pass to get in and wouldn't give him a pass to get in. So he'd left. So I had no mechanic, and they're like, it's not our problem, sort yourself out, there's your bike. And oh, brilliant. Like, what do I do now? And Fortunately, my dad was home at this point. I called him up and said, will you come help me put my tyre warmes on and maybe change some tyres or whatever? And this is a BSB level, you yeah. know, how you compete with that. And round one, stood on the podium, still led the full race, ended up third. And... Uh, f- thought, this is going to change their mind, you know, they'll realise that it's worth helping me now. Mm -hmm. And that couldn't have been any further from it. You know, they had no interest in running that. And they just, I think, wanted to take the 20 grand and they were more interested in the other riders that they were Mm -hmm. running. and um, They literally uh, gave me a call before round two and said... um, we're leaving the workshop in uh, 20 minutes and there's no space in the truck for your bike. If you're not here to pick the bike up in those 20 minutes, it gets locked in the workshop and you, you can't race, obviously, because it'd be locked in and, you know, it's your responsibility to get your bike there. And it wasn't. That just wasn't it's crazy. The, the deal. They basically just did yeah. everything they could and um, ended up getting somebody to pick it up. And, you know, I had a... Whole thing down there had a set the bike up in a friend's on and and then they come up and took the bike and took it into their garage and said it's our bike it has to go in our garage um and then they completely messed suspension up which is like it's crazy to even think about because it's just mm-hmm. dangerous you yeah. know like and they they change everything to you know just make it terrible I went out and rode it and called my dad up who was away working again and said, Look, this they just they just don't want me here. What's the point? You know, it's dangerous. I'm way down the order. What's mm-hmm. the point of being here? And he said, you know, just do the right thing, you know, what what do you think the right thing is to do? And I said, The right thing isn't to be here anymore. Yeah. So I like quit and uh tr- tried to get money back. They wouldn't give us the money back even though we done one and a half rounds. Mm-hmm wouldn't give us the money back and that was it i had no job i had uh, no money then like literally nothing like i was still living at home with my parents yeah um you know i didn't have anything uh, so i was like what am i going to do now and you speak to some other teams and they're like yeah if you can bring some money we'll run you and mm-hmm. i didn't have any so i thought if this is point where you like game over a, a lot of people like you know i'd go get a job and forget about yeah racing bikes and so it's like mess around for like a few months i say messing around just tried to go to meetings i end up getting a job um selling uh insurance to racers so they could send me to race circuits so i thought I'd maybe network and meet somebody who's mm-hmm. going to help me uh, so we was selling insurance did that for a few months and uh, ended up getting a call off a guy harry corbett he said um i don't know if you've ever thought about it but do you want to come and do a road race and i'm like never even never even thought it Wasn't about on it, your to radar honest. to be honest that i had not I'd not thought of that. It just not even come into uh, mind. And certainly my parents purposely steered me away from it. Mm-hmm. They made a point of being like, you're not doing that. Like, it's dangerous road and We don't want you to go down that road. And um, I said, that's the only opportunity I've got. I'll, I'll take it. But he said he was pretty good. He said, uh, if you come and you don't feel comfortable doing it, don't, don't do it. Mm-hmm. Like, only do it if you want to do it don't do it for any other reason and i went anyway and it's a pretty crazy one to do as my first one but it was scary it's a irish national road race and probably one of the narrowest i've seen i've seen it on film i've never been that enough to race it yeah honestly the back road up there is like it's like a footpath honestly if you drove down there in a car the wheels on both sides of the car would touch the grass verges on either side, like it's that <laughs>
2: wide. Of that narrow! And was that <laughs> a massive? Was that a massive? Obviously, shock to the system. What, what was your feeling after your first? So yeah, obviously a bit apprehensive as I,
1: I drove around. Or the the guy who took me over there, because I I couldn't even afford a ferry. They were like, "Well, get your ferry out here. It won't cost you anything. Just come and ride." So he drove me around in the car, and I'm like. Oh, uh, this this is this is the track as you drag down this They're like, oh yeah. yeah. You're like, that doesn't look like do not look like a track. And there's a hairpin at the end that you like. You'd have to like three point turn to get around the car. Like it's mm-hmm. so tight and yeah, it's a bit of an eye opener. But I thought you know, just go out, just take it easy, and like just don't do anything silly. It's dangerous, you know. Not not take any risks and. And rode around anyway, and uh, honestly loved it. Just got the bug instantly, came in, massive smile on my face. I was like, this is awesome. Like, it gave me a different sort of buzz to... To circuit. To circuit racing. Like, not that I didn't love that. Like, I love any, any form of racing. Like, as, as as I've sort of said, like any form of motorsport, mm-hmm. like, I, I love doing. Um, but it was a totally different thing. Like, it, it gave me a bigger bigger buzz than i'd ever experienced in my life before like it was insane so literally um yeah i was hooked from that point did a few more irish national races with with harry and um had a few decent results at them like didn't expect to he didn't have any budget at all to go along with it he did what he could we were we were using people's secondhand tires and stuff like that the bike was Roughly, like sort of cobbled together, and probably never seen an oil change, you know. <laughs> and uh yeah, a couple of decent results, and that's what got me the the start with uh, John Burroughs for the, for the next year. It obviously, caught his eye enough to
2: to give me an opportunity or to get into talks. And I... from that first race at Skerries, you know how quickly did the Isle of Man TT become part of your radar? So basically, Im- immediately, then as soon as I realised I love Skerries
1: then in my mind is like where do we go because i i always i never wanted to be at any point in my career i never wanted to be like still. i never wanted to just stay where i am it was never a thing for me to be like keep doing what i'm doing it was always go further where can i go where's the top you know mm-hmm. i want to go there you know i want to be at the front and there like the hardest class
0: put me in that one
1: so so you
0: look towards like the senior so
1: straight away Fine, like, that was it the the T. tt it's yeah. a road race this is a road race I've, that's the biggest one i mm-hmm. think start thinking about so i started watching videos from then and not long after um i think it was really shortly after was the tt that year and end up speaking to a couple of friends um Actually, I lie. It was before Scaries. Um I ended up going there before Skerries mm-hmm. to the TT while I was still working for the insurance company. As a spectator? Yeah. As, as a worker selling insurance, is what I told them. I said, if they, they pay for my flight to, to the Isle of Man TT, it'd be full of bike people. I sell so much insurance. And in my mind, thinking, I'm going to meet a team out there. Yeah, know,
0: yeah. Brilliant. and. I worked
1: it out and um, went and sl- slept in the back of somebody's uh, truck for two weeks at the TT. Um, and yeah, stood at the t- I genuinely stood at at uh, to the top of Bray Hill just after St Inian's uh, Crossroads for the first time ever watching the TT
0: what and a place. watched
1: watched the bikes come by there in the in a, one of the practice sessions. And honestly, it was like. This is absolutely insane. I've never seen anything like it in my life. This is exactly what I want to do. This looks, this looks nuts and mm-hmm. it looks unreal. I never got like a rush like that from spectating. I I, mm-hmm. I, I hate spectating anything. I always want to do it. It doesn't matter what mm-hmm. I'm doing. I'd rather be the one on the other side of the fence. But the TT, I was like. What like what a rush you get even as a spectator because you can be so close. There's nowhere else you can be that close no. to to the action, and never mind like bikes coming by at two hundred mile an hour doing a jump or a yeah yeah <laughs> something like that, and walls either side. So that was, and you can literally feel in the like ground the bike coming, and mm-hmm. then hear it for miles into the distance, like yeah, still flat out, you know. So it was a great like feeling I got from that just as and so that's part of what like made me think, yeah, this this where I want to come. I want to I want to race the TT, and ended up getting in in touch. I think Paul Phillips actually uh, called me one day and said, um,
0: "We need th- you, Davy. You're the saviour of the TT."
1: After maybe doing Scaries and Walderstown the first couple mm-hmm. of races, and he said, "You know we've." You know, I know you were at the TT earlier this year. Um, you're obviously thinking about doing the TT, and I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Like, and he said, obviously, the usual progression is that you go to the Manx Grand Prix before, um, but we can make it happen to to come straight to the TT if if you want to do that, and we'll we'll do all we can to to help you do that. And genuinely, they did. They, it, they were, they were absolutely awesome the whole tt team like give you all support to to learn the circuit for getting out there um getting put up in a hotel for a couple of days getting around in laps with milky Quill, with johnny barton with a bunch of like experienced guys to do laps of the tt course with to teach with as, as best they possibly can um, and that was the main goal for me, just to learn it. So I knew every inch of it. I wasn't thinking about how fast I was going to go. I just go there and and be safe and and learn it. As long as I'm comfortable, that I know exactly every inch of the course, that I know it really well, I'll I'll feel
0: happy to to go there. And they made that possible for me. Um, so that was that was 2018. You ended up being the second fastest newcomer, blitzing it. So what I'm thinking about is, as a newcomer, how physically demanding is it to race a six-lap senior TT? Like, you've got the likes of Rutter, McGuinness, you know, these riders who are so experienced, who who do very, I say this with all due respect, do do very little physical training. But I know you, and I know you train pretty hard. What is it like for someone who's new to it still, relatively fresh? Is it physically, is it mentally demanding? Are you getting off that bike at the end like, oh my God, that Like, absolutely shattered.
1: Yeah. In all honesty, I don't think you ever come off a bike more drained than a six lap senior, to be honest. But to be honest, more than the physical side of it, mentally draining. Mm -hmm. I'd never be, you're never mentally as drained in your entire life as when you get off after them six laps. There's no possible way you can tell me in any other sport in the world you have to focus that hard for that long because you, you can't you can't blink, you know. You can't like let your mind wander off while you're doing two hundred mile an hour with zero room for error. Like just not beating around the bush, you crash, you've got a good chance of dying. Like it's there's no room for error around this place. And so it's full on, like, a hundred and ten percent concentration for nearly two hours. But here's you know, the thing, it's... like
0: like like you mentioned at the start, how the moment the flag drops and you get the tap on the shoulder, the nerves go, and you go. It's almost like you go to autopilot when you're thinking. What are you actually thinking, or is your brain just that focused on what it's doing that you're not even? Do you know what I mean? Like you're not even actually thinking about what you're doing. You're just doing it, but it is so taxing on your brain because it's it's kind of working on in the background doing what it's supposed to do to make sure that you get to the end. In one piece. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, well, there's a lot of that. There's a, definitely a lot that you start doing in autopilot after a lot of, like, practice laps and stuff like that. But th- right through practice, it's... You're, you're piecing together, like, corner by corner. I, I was, like, almost talk myself through corner by corner, be like, right, I need to be here. This is coming up, like, the corners ahead. Like, be this place in the road, break here. Like, this gear, you know, just rehearsing because it's you, you go on to autopilot around a circuit for sure right mm-hmm. around Donington Park you're you know just just for just... some of the
2: listeners and probably not quite experienced of maybe riding on circuit or especially you know 37.7 miles of the Isle of Man TT course you mean reference points from that tipping in marker from that apex to that exit point point, to the, and so on
1: yeah completely it was um
2: I had a massive list from when I was learning
1: um before the race a massive list of reference points in my phone that I used as like as reference points when I was driving around in the car trying to learn the course and stuff going right when I see that wall or something or when I see that line or curb or something that's where I know I need to tip in and that's this is the corner and it's hard to explain but you know as a rider Steve like ran around there you use these markers you start to use them subconsciously but you still use them and it's Sometimes a really odd situation, like you said, from 18 to 19, you go back and you need to make sure you've rehearsed that course mm-hmm. because a lot's changed. It's still a real-world yeah. scenario. It's not a circuit where there's nothing nothing but gravel nothing traps changes, and grass yeah. around the course. Right. Somebody might have had an extension built on the house and it looks different, yeah. so it doesn't catch your eye the same or houses get knocked down, trees get cut down, walls get knocked down or yeah. built. Rebuilt and they look different, you know. There's oh, there's yeah. changes that you like
2: that are, that are different. Then that you might use as a as a reference point going around. So now. are you talking to yourself to a certain degree all or around the 37.7 miles from this point to that point to this point to that point? Near enough, definitely in the first
1: year, um, I was like that, like less so. In the second year, I felt like I didn't have to do that as much. I'm probably still doing it subconsciously. Uh, it's just that much rehearsal and that many laps I've watched, that many laps I've done on the game. The game was a massive part of it for me playing the PlayStation game. Like I did hundreds of hours on the game, like mm-hmm. insane amount to the point I didn't have a PlayStation. So I, it wasn't, I'm not a good gamer. I'd never done that like my whole life. You know, I, as a kid, it was like, look, for christmas like i know you want a playstation but we've been paying for your bike racing all year
0: yeah yeah you're not you know, in a
1: playstation I'm like, yeah i want a bike and not who PlayStation. did you
2: look up to the most and, and use their onboards and you know for for to do your swatting i used a lot of different
1: onboards to be honest um a lot of people obviously look towards like a mcguinness onboard or something but it's so fast like it's hard to learn that. As, like, a newcomer, there's no point watching a 132-mile-an-hour lap. Like, it's you're yeah, course, not going to yeah, be going yeah. that quick. Um, so I end up watching, like, classic bike laps and stuff, and weirdly enough, actually, a McGuinness lap on a pattern I, I watched a lot, um, on a old pattern classic 500. So it was a much slower speed, and it was easier to, to learn at that speed, and once you got comfortable learning at that speed, then it move up, but... Um, it got to a stage for me I you could your mind could wander off watching an onboard and driving around in the car, you were going too slow for it to be urgent enough yeah, to yeah. know where you're going. Yeah. You had too long to think about to, it. To get to the next point. To yeah, think, yeah. Where am I going again? Okay, mm-hmm. yes, yeah, that's right. You know, it was it was too long. So but playing the game, it made you better with that. Like yeah. to the yeah, to the point I played it that much, it was second fastest in the world just before my first TT. Uh, on so, the yeah, game that's lead all abroad. right. That's not bad. And uh, I was doing like 150-something mile-an-hour laps. You know, like it was just... Um, so then you actually learn at a quicker speed than... Definitely a quicker speed than you would actually be doing. Yeah. So I felt like it trained you enough that when you're out there riding, it was like... I know exactly where I'm going, and the, hats off to the guys making the game. They they did an insane job at creating that course, to a T. You know, the, yeah. I, I was involved in the development of the second TT game that then later came out, and they uh, they let me in on how they like laser scanned the whole course Mm -hmm. and everything so it's like every bump every undulation is in the game game. like it's obviously the characteristics it's not like actually riding a bike but in reference terms of the course and learning the course it's the same
0: so how did your first experience of getting on the track and getting your head down for the first practice night compare to that game did you feel like you were actually I know where I'm going here
1: the first lap was horrendous. Okay, After okay. that was fine, but the 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 first lap uh, so there was there was three three newcomers right uh, to the course that year, and as your first lap, the newcomers
0: go off first, mm-hmm. and you're bit normally behind a a support. Uh, as uh, in Milky uh, Quail. or yeah, Milky yeah. Milky
1: sat off first, and uh, then it was Adam Lyon mm-hmm. the, and. Uh, one of the other newcomers David Jackson and, and myself uh, at the back and he put us in that order said don't pass just follow each other like I'll go reason I go quick there's no point me going crawling around at snail's pace because yeah. you're going to then go out in your next lap want to go quicker and it's not no help Yeah. so he's good he's he's really good milky and it's like a TT winner himself he sort of knows his way around yeah a little bit so he took us around anyway with not even I think five miles in or something like that and and i'm like my visor's absolutely covered in i don't know what it's just covered it was like blurry and i'm like can't see fortunately a bunch of tear-offs on yeah three tear-offs pull the tear off two minutes later not not even maybe a minute later absolutely covered again and i don't mean like a couple of bugs i mean like to the point where you're like i can't see i pulled another one and then this on the like last last thing mm. and then it's like covered again and this is when i realized the bike in front david jackson's uh bike that he's riding is like spraying out oil from behind it's leaking oil and it's oil and because then i realize it all over my screen on the, the front of the bike um you know my arms and stuff it's like it's a lot of oil like this is your first lap at the tt my first lap around the tt and then you like you know, the main thing is, is don't fall off around the TT.
0: Yeah.
1: And now I'm covered in oil and now, like, everything's... At, then stuff goes into your head. Like, it doubt and fear of crashing as a racer never comes into your head. Everybody's asked, are you worried about crashing? If you were worried about crashing, you wouldn't do
0: mm-hmm. it.
1: And I can see that from that lap right yeah. there. But then I'm like, he doesn't know. He's still riding around. And then it panicked me to the point where I'm like, I was m- almost more worried about him because he- I was like, he doesn't know his bike's spewing out oil. It's, yeah. it's going to get on his back tyre. It's going to lock up or something. And we're like still doing 160 mile an hour. Might not be flat three places are flat out, but still full gas down the straight that's 160, 180 mile an hour yeah. on big bikes. We're all on 1,000cc bikes. I'm like, I've got to get up by the side of him to tell him, to, to yeah. pull off to get get off the thing, but I'm trying to drop back to get out the oil, and then I'm like, oh, no, I need to catch him up. But as soon as I catch him up, there's getting oil, more oil sprayed, and I'm I didn't know what to do. I was like so scared, and this all happened over the course of a couple of mile. I was like, if I I need to make this happen mm-hmm. before something happens, got up by the side of him, waved him down, and he realized straight away, and then pulled off but then I like I'm still nervous about the oil all over my bike if it's on my front tyre or something mm-hmm. and Milky and Adam kept pulling away and he's not going that quick but like probably doing 110 mile an hour lap I think we did but like he's pulling away he's pulling away from me and and then realising that I've he's lost me and then having to slow down I bet they're both thinking what's wrong what's he doing he? yeah like, going so slow and I'm just thinking get like crawl around this lap I need to pull in get me off this track mm-hmm. and again like massive respect to John Burroughs I pulled into that. you pull into the pits and every, all the other riders then have set off for their first night of practice and you're basically you fill up with fuel and you can go straight back out mm-hmm. So I pull in and I'm like, there's oil, there's oil, there's oil all over my bike. you got to clean it. Like, yeah. Yeah. like my head's completely falling off, you know, at this stage. <laughs> First lap of the TT, the scariest, most dangerous track in the world. and You're doing it covered I, I'm, in oil. I'm, I'm terrified now. Um, so I cleaned it all up, like cleaned all the bike. He said, don't, just fill the bike, you're going back out he said, I don't want to hit, like, it's all clean. Don't worry about it. It's yeah. clean. Which fully clean. I promise you. Go back out now. Two laps. Don't pull in after your first lap. I don't care what you think.
0: Do mm-hmm. two laps and mm-hmm.
1: then come in. And then, yeah, went out. Just relaxed then for the for that next lap. And then, yeah, by the time I'd come across the start and finish my second lap, I was all well been like. That was it scream with happiness, you know, it was
2: like ah, this is me, I know exactly where I'm going ah. While you're on that note of of probably the negative side, you mentioned about you can't afford to crash, obviously it's the most dangerous circuit in the world, you know, you've already <clears throat> only a couple of years in, you've kind of um, you know experienced the negative side, the darker side of the TT of course, how dangerous it is and so on, we had McGuinness in I think three or four weeks ago and he was talking about of course his big mate DJ that was uh, obviously um, Ended his life at, at Crosby, you know. Another nor- North East lad, Daley Matheson. Unfortunately, had a big crash in uh, two thousand and nineteen, and unfortunately, uh, didn't survive. How does that affect you riding around a TT course? That was that
1: was tough, honestly, to to experience that. Um, I'd experienced um, it in another manner. I grew up with uh, Malachi Mitchell Thomas my whole life. Again, like we come through exactly the same path. Like, we raced together from six years old and we battled against each other at motocross, then at supermoto, BSB, and then onto the roads and, and Malachi ended up crashing and dying at the at the Northwest 200. Um, and that was hard. That's what made it super hard, I think, more on my family than, than me because they knew Mal's dad and Mal's family and... Um, they seen what how, you know awful that is, let's say. Um but as a rider's perspective, you you gotta move on from that. You gotta you gotta keep going. You understand as a rider what they the they were thinking as a rider and being like such good friends with Daly, like Daly was my best mate, he was my teammate. Everything we trained together we were all at the same races because we were then riding for the same team. We were riding IRC together, train together, travel together, like everything, like more apart, like never apart, you know, it was... Um, so then to be so close together on speed as well, um, we were 18 and 19 on the road, like seeded eight, number 18 and number 19, so we set off 10 seconds apart. Uh, you know we talked so much rubbish together. You know about who's going to be better and stuff like that. But also at the same time, we 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 had sat down and spoke about um, you know what ifs and stuff like that. You know if because you do, you get into it, and you know what if what you know we both know the risks what we're doing here, and both as you know honestly hand on heart sit there and go we do it no matter what and we know the risk We mm-hmm. know what can happen and you still do it because it's the best thing ever there's nothing that compares to it and it's worth doing yeah you know with it with it, the the small chance of risk that there is you know you always feel like as a rider you can uh you know i'm not gonna ride to that extent you know it's not gonna be me sort of thing um but we'd spoke about it and said we'd do it no matter what what 'cause it's the best thing. It's what we live for, it's what we've you know, strived our life to do, race bikes and after experiencing racing the Alaman T T, it's the best feeling that you will ever get. Like, bar nothing. Like I, I can't honestly say that mm-hmm. anything compares to racing that. So um no matter what we were gonna do it and um yeah, it was it was really tough uh
0: losing daily to be honest um did you think about stopping even though you've had that conversation you said it's the best thing in the world did that for a a time
1: shortly i I don't know you come in you don't really know what to think it's Mm -hmm. um your head's a bit all over the place and to be honest it was for for a long time after certainly for the for the rest of the duration of the TT in 2019 because it was in the first race and we still had a bunch more races you know the, the team and everybody come up and said you know we understand I think I think we possibly had a race that afternoon or maybe a practice session that afternoon after the first race after that had happened and you know you think and they're like we understand if you don't want to do it anymore and if you want to sit it out or sit out tonight or whatever and to be honest, for me, it was the only time I had where I didn't think about it because of how much focus and, yeah, like concentration it requires to ride around that place. It was the only time I, my head wasn't all over because it was on the TT course. Yeah. You know, I'd come in, yeah, it was it, it was tough, you know, going through everything and uh, and I was gutted to, to lose daily, but, you know, by racing um uh, being out on track and out on the bike, you know, I was um I wasn't thinking about it then. And that gave me um, you know, a uh, bit of time to, to, to clear my head with that. So that's why I carried on and, you know, honestly daily wouldn't want anybody to stop. You know, mm-hmm. same for any rider. We all know what we're doing out there and you know, I know if anything happened to me, you know, like I wouldn't be going. Oh, I don't want anybody to stop. You know, don't racing. I'm doing exactly what I love doing. I'm doing the best thing in the world to me. You know, I wouldn't mm. have any other way. Like I, I absolutely love it. So yeah. there is no stopping,
0: no stopping for me, certainly. So let's look to the future now. Then you are tipped as one of the hottest properties in road racing. It's 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 fact, right? Whether you like it or not. Do you feel that pressure, or because to me, you seem like a guy that just enjoys racing, regardless of whether there's any pressure on you or not, whether people think that you're gonna go on to win, you know whatever it might be in the future? Do you feel the pressure? yeah it's, not,
1: I wouldn't say so like the 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 pressure's the same as the pressure I've always put on myself, like nobody's ever like um nobody's ever put more pressure on me than than i than I put on myself mm-hmm. because i've always wanted more i never i never want to just settle again with whatever i'm doing i want to be better so i'm always never happy and i think a lot of races are the same you're never happy with what you do so you always want to be better and that's just what i want to keep doing and after the first two years at the tt honestly like i was absolutely gobsmacked i was shocked when i come in and the team told me I'd done a 130 mile an hour lap in the in the senior. You know, mm-hmm. we had a tough week with daily. We'd had no practice laps. It'd been crazy weather-wise. You know, I just sort of wrote it off. I thought it'd be nice to do a 130, but, um, you know, it's probably not going to happen. Um, so I, I didn't think about it. I never st- strive to to do a lap time i never aimed for a lap time i just went out and rode as good as i could ride and see where i end up mm-hmm. without you know pushing or anything or what i feel like is pushing I made sure i rode well within myself everywhere mm-hmm. left loads of room at the side of the side of the road you know not 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 running up on curbs or anything like that um so for me coming in and been like you've done 130 mile an hour lap in that race there and i'm like that's insane like yeah. i didn't feel like it it just again i always translate back feel, it felt like it? a sunday ride to me yeah like i just feel like i was just riding yeah and um and then we rolled on into the pits and one of the other man- mechanics came running over and he thought he was running over to you know say well done on the 130 and he come up and, and he was like you pleased with that and i was like yeah 130 and he was like no last lap you did 131 and a half and i'm like (laughs) i I, I can't even like i couldn't believe the 130 never mind that and yeah it was just insane so for me moving forward to better that i don't feel like it would take a lot because Mm -hmm. like not i don't want to say too much because i'm not i'm not like egging myself on to be this or be that or the other I just want to go out there and ride but I feel well within myself then to do 131.5 so I've definitely got some more in
2: uh, some more in me than that you know You know we're, we're well into 2022 now you've got to be focusing very hard on the Isle of Man TT what would you know when you, when you leave there and you finish TT 22 what would you really have to come away with? Wouldn't be a lap time, a podium, a win. What would that really be? What would be the little cherry on top of the cake? A t- <laughs> I try
1: not to I try not to set any uh goals to be honest. It's it's a race like no other because in the sense of every other race I've done in my life if I come away second place I'm not happy. You know, but the TT you come away and you, You've just come across a finish line and done a lap time that was better than last time, and you're like absolutely peaking. Mm-hmm. Just you're all so amped up from riding around there that it is just the best thing. So you're just excited to ride around there, yeah. Um, and to be able to do that, but like I don't know, moving forward, it's I just want to keep getting better, and we're not far away with everything how it's been so far, as I say. So we're not streets away from things like podiums and, you know, who knows? It's, you don't know have to leave without an answer. <laughs> it's, a, it's a weird thing. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's going to be a weird year, isn't it? Two years out yeah. and then going back into it. I can't make my mind up whether
2: that's going to benefit me or hurt me. I've had this conversation with Gary Thompson, obviously the clerk of the course, you know, because and people especially like yourself that have only really had two big years experience, you know, and, and probably... In my mind, um you're not going to forget where you're going, but but everybody needs to polish up, of course, and uh, be very careful and step into it nicely. And that's hopefully, if we get good weather for practice week. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's exactly how it's going to be, and it's
1: going to be a weird situation for everyone, I'm sure. Having having these couple of years out, and then yeah, who knows? Going back to it, what it's going to be like. I, my situation, I suppose, to be honest, doesn't feel like it's changed a whole lot. So I just felt like a newcomer anyway, and I still sort of feel like a newcomer. and I'm still gonna be, but it's sort of gonna now set everybody back. Guys like Rutter and McGuinness and stuff like that—they're that well rehearsed around that place. You know, I'm sure that they haven't forgot
2: after the the amount of laps that they've done around there. But, Do you know um, what? Obviously, you know, we've had Hickey and McGuinness in already here, but fabulous, Chris, wasn't mm-hmm. it? You know, and um, I don't know whether you've listened, but they both said pretty much they, they're very confident, you know, after the first couple of nights, everybody's going to be bang back on the 30 31s, 32s, and getting back on the pace very quickly. Yeah, I think the, the level is just coming up the whole
1: time, you know, with the, you see with the TT, the lap times coming up, what Hickey and Dean have been doing, it's, it's insane, and... Um, the speed's coming up because technology's getting better bikes are getting better but also people are realizing that road racing isn't what it maybe used to be let's say where you could ride around well within yourself and not need to be at the level of bsb but all the top guys at the tt are now racing bsb week Mm -hmm. in week out even with guys like michael dunlop and you know Who'd have guessed that would ever happen? But he's there racing every week because he knows that's what you got to be doing now yeah. to find those limits to then go at the TT and, you know, know where your ceiling is sort of thing. So I think, I think the speed will still be strong for sure, but I think that I'll be in a better position than I'll ever have been in before as well. Um, for more experience... Uh, riding on short circuits because the first two years I'd only rode a big bike on a road race until 2020. I had not rode a, a big bike on a short circuit, so I'd only solely rode them on roads, which is a weird thing to learn a big bike on a road. But uh, yeah, I think we'll we'll just keep keep plugging away, and it'd be nice to to be stood on that podium. We got one at the Classic TT on the 250, and that bike. Probably scares me more than <laughs> scares me more than a two hundred plus break. Hey, listen, super we,
2: we you know we wish you all the best with that, and we're looking at you obviously as, as being one of the future big names without doubt. Right, I've got some quick fire questions for you. Okay, we're just gonna ping through these quickly. Now you can only give me one one answer or the other. Two answers for each question. There's no reasoning and, and no description. Right, beer or wine? Wine. Left or right? Left. Pineapple or never pineapple on a pizza? Never pineapple Supersport or super twin? Supersport Mass start or time trial? Mass start A pillion ride with John McGuinness or Pete Hickman? I guess. I knew you'd say that Win a British Championship or a senior TT win? Senior TT Slicks or treaded tyres? Slicks Right, the TT course Sector 1, the grandstand to Glen Helen or Sector 4, Ramsey hairpin to Cronknamona?
1: Yeah, out of the mountain.
2: Ramsey to Cronknamona. Sector 4. Hey, thanks, buddy. I've enjoyed the chat. Absolute
0: pleasure, Davey. We've (laughs) got to get him on for another one. We've still got so much ground to cover and I think the next time we get him on this podcast, we might be talking to a TT winner. Let's
2: hope so. No pressure, then.
0: Cheers, mate. (laughs) Thanks,
2: buddy. (laughs)
0: Hey Steve, David Todd. I mean, again, I don't want to blow smoke up his, his, his bottom, but I genuinely see that guy as a, as a TT winner at some point. Hey,
2: impressive in all fairness. I learned quite a lot there about the boy, you know, and uh, he's done quite a lot of stuff already and been fast instantly. But yeah, certainly the a bright light of the future. He just needs the right team and the right people around him to bring those qualities out.
0: Do you think he can get his, uh, his, his first maiden win? I do, you know, he's already been there at the Northwest 200, he's done it there,
2: and there's no reason at all over the next two or three years why he can't do it at the TT.
0: Maybe this is the man to push Peter Hickman and put him under pressure. Hey, let's hope so. This has been episode four of the TT Podcast. If you've enjoyed it, then hit that subscribe button and leave us a rating and a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We have plenty more star-studded names from the world of the TT on the way in this series. And don't forget, you can get all the latest TT news and features over at iomttracers.com. And be sure to check us out on all the usual socials. We are at TTRacersOfficial. Thanks for listening.